Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, welcome to Lex City. How are you guys doing out there today? You awake? All right, that's awesome. That's awesome. Welcome to those of you watching online as well. Happy Fourth of July weekend to you. We're on a summer series just learning about the names of God. And so, well, I know you guys have all been to the doctor at some point, right? You go to the doctor, you go into the waiting room. There's no chance of not doing that. It's called a waiting room, so you wait in there, right? You fill out your paperwork, all that kind of stuff. And then eventually you get to go in to the smaller room, right? And they sit you up on that paper. It's like a butcher paper, right? And you sit up on the butcher paper, and then what happens? You don't want to move because it's really loud, right? It's like all the crinkle sounds, so you like sit there really stiff. Then they come in, right? I, the butcher paper gets me. I'm like, I don't understand it. It's like, are they gonna wrap you up for like a sandwich to, to go at the end of the appointment or what? But so the doctor or nurse comes in there and they ask you some diagnostic questions, right? And one of those questions they ask you is something to the effect of like, how's your appetite been lately? Are you able to keep food down? Like, what's that looking like for you? And they begin to ask those kind of questions. And the reason they ask those questions is because severe loss of appetite is a surefire song, sign that something's going wrong physically with your body, right? And so right from the get-go, they're figuring that out, and so they're asking, so I kinda want this morning to ask a similar question, just like when you lose the appetite, right? The physical thing. My question today to you is from a spiritual standpoint, how is your appetite for the things of God? How is your appetite for spiritual things in your life? When it comes to praying and reading the Bible and applying the word of God to your life and coming to church on a regular basis, like how is your spiritual appetite? Jesus asked the question a little bit differently. In Matthew chapter five, he said, are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Not a question you ask yourself a lot, right? But are you hungry and thirsting for righteousness? How's your appetite for the things of God? And hopefully the answer is yes, because just like a loss of appetite for the things in our pantry and our fridge is a sign of something wrong with us physically, when we lose an appetite for spiritual things, it can also be a sign that maybe we're a little bit sick spiritually as well. And so I say all that today because um, we're gonna talk about a name of God today, and it's gonna kind of talk about righteousness because even though it's a name of God that maybe mo- most of you probably never heard of this name before, it's not one that we say a whole lot, but everything about our Christian life kind of hinges upon this great name. For example, our praying, our worship, our salvation, our healing, our eternal security, all the things about a Christian life, including simply how we relate and treat each other, is wrapped up in this great name of God. So the name of God for today, and you guys can go to your sermon notes, lexity.info, click on message notes, you can follow along with the sermon today right there. But the name today is Jehovah Sakinu. Say Jehovah Sakinu. See, now you're Hebrew scholars, look at all of you, that's amazing. And so it means the Lord is my righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. And the context of this particular name comes from Jeremiah chapter 23, during a time in human history where God is desperately trying to turn the hearts and minds of people back into a right relationship with him. So we'll go back in time. So shortly after King Solomon died, the nation of Israel basically divided into two different kingdoms. And if you wanna look at this, if you love all the nerdy graphs in church, go in the sermon notes, you can see all the kings and prophets. I listed them out there for you. So you basically had the northern kingdom, which kept the name Israel. Then you had the southern kingdom, which went by the name of Judah. And at this point in biblical history, at this point in biblical narrative, Israel had been taken captive because of their sin and rebellion towards God. And Israel kind of ceased to, ceased to exist as a nation at this point. But Judah, on the other hand, was kind of like hanging on for dear life. 
And now the reason Judah was hanging on for dear life is because unlike Israel, who since the separation, when they went from the United Kingdom to two different kingdoms, they had not really had one good king at all. They were all evil. Look at the graph. They're pretty much all evil kings, the nation of Israel. But Judah did have some godly kings, all right? So out of 20 kings, they had about eight kings that were actually godly in some way or another, and they were considered good. And so we pick up our story in Jeremiah chapter 23, and Judah's going through a stretch of kings that are kind of wicked and ungodly and unholy in every single way. And at this point in history, God is like, I've, I've just had enough. So what's God gonna do? Is he gonna drop the hammer? Is he gonna punish them? Is he gonna rebuke them? No, instead, God, in his love and mercy, he sends a 19-year-old prophet by the name of Jeremiah. The verse about not looking down on people because they're young, this guy's 19. And he sent him as the prophet to speak to this nation. And for the next 40 years of his life, he does everything he can to preach and prophesy to get people to repent and turn back into a right relationship with God. Do you know how much success Jeremiah had in those 40 years? Zero. Zip. Nada. Can you imagine the assignment to go preach to people for 40 years and not see any traction? That is obedience to the next level, right? And so it broke Jeremiah's heart, and he became known as Jeremiah the Weeping Prophet. Not a great stage name, all right? But listen, not only did the people's lack of repentance and response break Jeremiah's heart, but it also broke the very heart of God. Because God realized, now I'm going to have to judge them. Now I'm going to have to punish them and discipline his children for all this sin and all this rebellion. And so God is going to allow Judah, just like he did Israel, to cease to exist as a nation because they're going to be allowed to be taken captive by a group of people known as the Babylonians. And that, in essence, meant God is going to hit the pause button on Judah's whole existence. He's going to have them cease to exist as a nation for a period of time. But again, unless you think God is just this cruel God who looks down and he's mean and unloving, not only did God give him all kinds of opportunities to repent along the way, because remember, he gave them 40 years of Jeremiah preaching and prophesying and asking and begging them before he eventually moved into the message of punishment and judgment. God gives the Israelites and God gives us today this great message of hope. So if you're in your, your Bible apps or you wanna look inside the sermon notes, we're gonna read Jeremiah chapter 23, verse one. Woe to the shepherds who are causing the sheep of my pasture to perish and are scattering them, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the shepherds who are attending my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not been concerned about them. Behold, I'm going to call you to account for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture. And they will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them. And they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will be any, any, any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will, be, will live securely. And this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. Verse seven, therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought the sons of Israel up from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel back from the north land and from all the countries where I have driven them, they will live on their own soil. 
There's a lot there. We're going to unpack it today together. But now the root word for righteousness, the Hebrew word, actually means to be stiff or to be straight. You're going, how does stiff or straight, straight translate to back into righteousness? Well, to understand righteousness, you would first understand a little bit about wrongness, right? What's the opposite of right? Wrong. Great, great job, everybody. And to understand more about right and righteousness, we must first understand something about sin, something about wrongness. You know, when we have done something wrong, the Bible calls it sin. Outside of the church, we don't walk around like saying that, right? When someone makes a mistake at work, we're like, oh man, you just sinned. Well, we don't say that outside of church, right? But people understand when they make a mistake. They know that they're doing something wrong. We can at least identify that in our own lives, right? We're not perfect people in biblical terms. I'm a sinner. I sin every day. This is what we all are. And we find a great illustration of sin in Psalm, in Psalm 51. David writes this song, and he writes after he's been con confronted by the prophet Nathan about his affair with Bathsheba. And in 51, he says this about sin. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. I read that verse before, but this one, it stuck out to me. I was, I was like, God is using three different words to describe the same basic premise, the same basic theme right here. He says, transgressions, iniquity, and sin. Three different Hebrew words in scripture, all communicating the same principle. I have violated God's righteousness. So transgressions, it means to rebel or trespass. Iniquity is crooked, twisted, or bent. And sin means to miss the mark or fall short. So transgression, it comes from the Hebrew word pasha, and it means to rebel or to trespass. The Hebrew word for iniquity is avon, and it means crooked or to be twisted or to be bent. And he says, wash me from my sin. Sin is a Hebrew word, it means to miss the mark or to fall short. And the imagery of an archer, he, he's, he's releasing the arrow, right? And he misses that, the, the perfect standard of the bullseye. That's what it means to sin. So we think about the word trespass. So I was born in the 70s, so I was a kid in the 80s. So back then, for those of you that don't know, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have internet. We did this weird thing back then called playing outside, okay? And so our parents would just send us outside and they wouldn't know where we were for hours and hours. They had no way to track us. Kids were like, that's kinda cool. And, and we could go wherever we wanted, right? And we were, you know, all over the neighborhood on our bikes and things like that. And so one of the things that we did, my friends and I did, is we would go to areas and it would say, no trespassing. And we were like, that's a suggestion. That's not real, right? And then we would go in there and we would check things out, right? And we would build things. And we'd go into houses that weren't built yet. And we wouldn't necessarily break things, but sometimes we would. And, and we would just have fun. And we kind of ignored the whole no trespassing sign. And David says when it comes to trespass, this idea of transgressing, I have trespassed against the law. I have transgressed the law. It says, to put it another way, God is a line, and the line is like a straight line. It's where we connect the dots. That line is called righteousness. It's a straight line. It's a stiff line. It's unmoved. It's called righteousness. That's God's perfect standard. The line is perfect now. So to transgress means to cross that line or to trespass. Iniquity is the second word David uses. It means to twist or bend the line, and to sin means to fall short or miss completely. So God is a straight line, right? A stiff line called righteousness. You can either cross the line, you can bend the line, you can fall short of the line, but it's called sin. And that's what David's saying in this verse, and I've done all three, I've crossed the line, I've bent and twisted the line to fit my own needs, my own desires, 
and I've fallen short of the line plenty of times. But all this communicates the theme of sin so we can now understand the beautiful name of God, which is the Lord, our righteousness. So to continue this kind of theme of understanding sin, all right, so there's three areas of sin. The sin condition the sin ambition, and the sin solution. The first one is this. The sin condition, and first of all, sin is universal. All people are affected by this thing called sin. To miss the mark, to transgress God's perfect standard of righteousness. To cross the line, to bend the line, to twist, to pervert the line. It's universal. It affects everybody. That's why in Romans 3.23 it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, God's glorious standard. Isaiah 53.6 says, All have gone astray, all of us. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Even kids, even children from an early age sin, and all the parents said amen, right? We don't have to teach our kids how to sin. I remember when my kids were two, it was like, man, I'm like, you're like master thieves already. You like steal stuff. And they already know how to lie, and they already know how to be mean, they already know how to cheat. Like, sin is universal, it affects everybody. And David said, surely, I was sinful at birth. I was sinful at the time I was conceived in my mother's womb. All of us have sinned. It's part of the sin condition. The second part of the sin condition is this. Sin results in death. Results in death. That's what the Bible tells us. God created Adam and Eve. When they rebelled against God, sin entered the human race. That's why Romans 5.12 says, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Kids, your parents sin. If they say they don't, you can be like, oh no, Pastor Zach said you sin a lot, <laughs> all right? Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Wages means payment, so the payment of your sin, here's your paycheck, it's called death. Ezekiel 18 says, the soul who sins dies. What he's saying is not just a physical death at that moment. Physical death entered the human race, but it's also a spiritual death. There's a spiritual separation that all of us now have experienced from the Lord that results in eternal separation in a real place called hell. That's what the Bible teaches, the consequence of sin are a physical and spiritual death. The second aspect of sin is called the sin ambition. What do I mean by this? I'm basically saying, what is sin's ambition? What is sin's main desire in your life? One word, it's the word control. There's a story in Genesis chapter four early on. Cain was the first son of Adam and Eve. The Bible says in chapter four, Cain brought an offering to the Lord, but it wasn't what the Lord had required of him. And God sees Cain kind of pouting, and God kind of has a sit down with Cain, and he says, Cain, what's wrong? And Cain says, well, I brought this offering to you, and the Lord says in Genesis 4, chapter 7, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. The NLT version says that sin is eager to control you. It's the Hebrew word teshuka. It means to crave, to master you. Sin desires to enslave you. It desires to own you. It desires to control you in all Aspects of your life, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Physically, sin's ambition is to control you. So then what is the sin solution to all this mess that we're talking about here? What is the sin solution? 
illustrate the sin solution, I kind of have two illustrations I want to give you guys today. And the first one is this. So how many of you guys, like, you love, like, the do-it-yourself network, the DIY network? You like doing things on your own? Seven of you. Awesome. Okay. The rest of us, we, like, hire professional help, which is great. I'm not a big DIY guy. My wife would love me to be. But when I try, it usually turns out horribly. But you watch these networks, and they're like, in four easy steps, you can build this table. And I'm like, no, I can't. Like, Pastor Dave can do all of that stuff, but I can't do any of those things, right? And so you see this project, and, you, and they say it's so easy. But then there's this big gap between the expectation that you have and then the reality of the product that you actually have at the end, right? And so I researched on the internet, and I found a couple of these expectations versus reality ones, all right? So here's the first one. You want to make this beautiful wreath. Like, look at that thing. It's awesome, right? Do it yourself. But here's what it actually looks like when you're done right here, Right? <laughs> Like the first one says, come into my house. We like to host. The next one says, I'm an introvert. Go away. Like don't come in my house, right? Like that's the reality, right? The next one for you bakers out there, you're like, I'm going to make this incredible Thomas the Train cake for my child. It's going to be an amazing birthday. I mean, that looks pretty easy to make. But then you start making it and it gets more difficult. And this is what it turns out as right here. <laughs> I, I have no words for that. I don't even feel like they were trying. That, was, that gets like a C minus, all right? And then you have this next one here, a similar thing. It's like, man, my kid loves monkeys. I'm gonna make this for their one-year-old birthday. It's gonna be amazing. You guys remember the one-year-old birthday where you cut the cake and the kid doesn't remember any of it, obviously, and then they smash it all in their face and it's great, right? It's more about the parents than the kid. I'm gonna make this monkey cake. But here's what it actually turns out. Here's the reality of it. Like, that image right there will haunt your nightmares, right? That is what nightmares are made of for the one-year-old, okay? And so that's the illustration of, like, we have this do-it-yourself. Because, you see, man's natural default when confronted with sin in our lives is to try to do it ourselves. To try to meet God's perfect, righteous standard on our own, all by ourselves. But the expectation never meets the reality because the reality is when I try to do good things to be righteous, like the Lord, the Bible says, our righteousness is like filthy rags to the Lord. So we realize that the problem is our default is to do it on our own. So we have this box here. This one, if you can read, says Jesus. This one right here says you. And this box here is a little bit dirtier than this one, right? You can see the dirt on here. And that dirt represents our past, our mistakes, our sin, our poor choices when we try to do things on our own. And so what do we do when we're faced with the fact that like our stuff, our sin, isn't really measuring up to God's perfect standard of righteousness? So what we do is we take this Clorox wipe right here, right? And we say, I'm gonna do it myself. I'm gonna clean myself up. I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna try to do enough good things I'm gonna try to do enough good things. I'm gonna serve at my church. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna try to do good things. I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna serve at nonprofits. I'm gonna do all these things on my own. At the end of the day, it doesn't work. This is not an effective solution to clean because the reality is we can't do this on our own. Outside of Christ, we don't measure up. We can't become righteous on our own. We can't do it. And so it says, and Paul says, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, basically answering the question, like, what is the problem here? He says, God 
made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know how we become the righteousness of God? By being in him. This is the only way we find righteousness. It's through Christ. We can take ourselves outside of Christ and we can try to do it on our own, but the reality is we're never going to measure up. And we can do good things, right? We can still do good things outside of Christ, but the reality is we do good things outside of Christ and we're not found in him. We still die outside of Christ. Only way that we can, we have to be found in him. We adopt Christ's righteousness. That's what he says. It's incredible. So how do we become righteous? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not therefore, everyone does enough good stuff and cleans themselves up that they're a new creation. Because you can do good stuff and be outside of Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. How do we become righteous? By becoming righteous, by being in Christ, by being found in Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that we will not be perfect people because we still live in these sinful bodies, right? But what it does mean is that Christ, submit your life to Christ, surrender your life to Christ, give yourself fully to Christ, to be in him, to be found in him, to surrender to him. Then the Bible says that God will credit Jesus' righteousness to you. That God will attribute Jesus' righteousness to you so that when God sees Jesus, God sees the righteousness of Christ on you. It's incredible. It's an amazing deal for us. We must be found in him. And that's to be a relationship with Jesus, right? So that the sin solution is being found in Christ by giving yourself to him. Paul says in Philippians 3, 9, I want to gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So do you want the righteousness of God in your life? You can try to clean up your, your act all day long, but it's not until you are found in Christ by faith, by extending your faith in Christ, by the finished work what Jesus did for us on the cross on your behalf, then God sees you, he sees his perfect son. It's an amazing deal, it's an amazing deal, and it's a simple thing as well. So this is where we connect the dot between, between sin and the Lord's name here in Jeremiah 23, basically what, he, what we just read. So Jeremiah the prophet, he's speaking the people of Israel from the Lord. And the Lord is saying in Jeremiah 23, woe to the shepherds of Israel. Who's he talking about? The shepherds of Israel have led my people into idolatry. They scatter my people everywhere. Shepherds of Israel, what he's referring to are just the leaders of Israel. The kings of Israel, the prophets of Israel, the priests of Israel, the leaders of Israel have led the people into sin, into idolatry. They worship other gods. And so because they served other gods and they continued in their sin and their rebellion, God allowed the nations to invade, right, and to scatter the people. This was the consequence. But then the promise of God that we read in verse eight, it says, I'm going to bring my people back. Even though they were scattered among the nations of the world, I'm gonna bring my people back. There will be a day when I will bring all the people, all the Jewish people that were scattered because of their sin, I'm going to bring them back into this land. And then God says in verse six, I will raise up a branch out of David who is righteous. Now, a branch out of David just means an offspring of David, a descendant of David, 
God says there will be a descendant of King David who I will set up who will be righteous. He will execute righteous judgment. And in verse six, he says he will be a king and he will reign. And his name will be Jehovah Sakinu, the Lord of righteousness. And if you don't know, in May of 1948, not even 100 years ago, Israel was restored as a nation. There's the newspaper clipping from the Palestine paper right there. People of Israel, ever since 70 AD, when the Romans came in and desecrated Jerusalem, the Jews scattered throughout the whole world. And then in May of 1948, the nation of Israel became a nation once again. This is unheard of in human history. Basically, a people stopped being a people. They were scattered all over the world, lost and not in their homeland for 1,878 years, since 70 AD, came back to the land, became a people group again, all without losing their language. This has never happened. It's unheard of. But one of God's prophecies here was that near the end times, I'm going to bring the people back, I'm going to bring the people back into the land. Jeremiah, who had lived a couple thousand years earlier, is prophesying about the future time that actually happened in May of 1948, when God brought the Jewish people back to the land and God was promising, I'm going to bring Israel's people back. But to bring them back in preparation for the coming of the king, the second return of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus returns, he's going to come back to the earth. He's going to rule and reign and execute righteous judgment in the world. And this is what Jeremiah is talking about. He's prophesying about something that, ha- that happened not even 100 years ago. That's so cool to me. Where the Israelites' people came back and became a nation once again, just as God said. And I love in that verse, there's five things right there that he prophesied about the branch of David. There are these five. Number one, he'll be a direct descendant of of David. Check. He will be a king. Check. He will act justly and rightly. Check. He will save Judah. Check. He will be called the Lord of righteousness. Sound like anyone we know? The New Testament comes and Jesus comes. His first coming. And what does he want us to do? He wants to be our righteousness because we're sinners. And if we are found in him, God credits his righteousness to us. And then at his second coming, the Bible says he will then rule and reign in Jerusalem and execute righteous judgment. And and for those who are not found in him, this is gonna be a pretty scary day, right? Those who are found in him, what a joyous celebration that will be. Now listen, that same principle in the Old Testament about God bringing back his people to the land, people who were scattered, the people who brought back and made the nation once again, He will set up the king who will be a righteous king. That same principle here in the Old Testament is the same principle that we see here in the New Testament that basically says, listen, if you are scattered, if you feel like you are far apart from perfection, if you feel like you're lost in the world, you feel like you don't have a home, the Lord says, if you adopt my righteousness, if you are found in Christ, then you have a home with me for all eternity. The same principle in the Old Testament where God says that people are going to be scattered, I'm gonna bring them back, and they're going to be ruled by righteousness in the same principle that we can live by today. Maybe you're here today, you're watching online, and you'd say, man, I feel lost in the world. I don't have a place in the world. I feel scattered. I don't feel like I fit in. And you're walking through this, 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 this sin and this guilt and this shame from things you've experienced in your life from maybe poor choices or whatever things have happened in your life, and you just feel scattered. You feel like you're about to lose your mind because you don't know where you are. And listen, the same promise stands today where the Lord says, I can restore you. 
just like I restored the nation of Israel. I can restore you, I can bring you back together. So the question today as we end today is will you attempt to bring the broken pieces of your life all on your own? Will you do it yourself? Will you try to clean yourself up on your own? Or will you just give yourself over to God? Say, I can't keep doing this on my own. God, I want your righteousness. I'm imperfect. There's no way I can clean my act up on my own. I wanna be found in Christ. I wanna adopt you into my family. He says, I wanna adopt you into my family. I wanna restore you. I I wanna bring the broken pieces of your heart back together. This is Jehovah Sakinu, the Lord our righteousness, not good works, and you can be found in him today. Let's pray as we close out today. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. This is a moment between just you and God. Maybe your life's been crazy this week. Maybe your summer's been nuts and you just don't have a lot of time where you just kind of sat in your own thoughts and just kind of sat between you and God and just had a moment. I wanna encourage you, that moment is right now. With every head bowed, every eye closed. There's an amazing verse in Romans that says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a life-changing verse because God's saying a couple of things there. He's saying, in spite of all of my sin, my junk, my past, my mistakes, and yours as well, in spite of all of that, he loves us unconditionally. It takes it one step further. He says, I want a relationship with you through my son, Jesus. So maybe you're here today. Maybe this message resonates with your heart because you're going, you know what? I resonate with the box that says you on it because I am trying to clean myself up. I'm trying to do things on my own power. End of the day, I still feel empty. I still feel broken. I still don't have hope. I wanna encourage you today, if you're here today and that's you, You can have a relationship with Jesus. He can restore you. You can adopt his righteousness in your life. So if you're here today with every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, that's me, Zach. I wanna ask Christ to come into my heart. I wanna do that today. Just lift your hand up right now with no one looking around. Just lift your hand up. Awesome, I see your hand. Anybody else? Say, that's me. I wanna ask Christ to come into my life. Very cool. I'm gonna say a prayer right now and you can just kind of say something like this. It's just you connecting your heart to the very heart of God. Just say something like this. Say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. But today, God, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to change me. I ask you to save me. I believe in your son, Jesus, that he died on the cross for my sins death and rose again. I'm tired of living for me. I want to start living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just celebrate with those people today that made that decision today? That is awesome. What an incredible July 4th weekend for you guys. And so whether you're here in person or you're watching online, if you made that decision, whether you raise your hand or not, but you just want to take that next step, I want to encourage you, go to lexi.info. You can click on the phrase, the button that says, I prayed. And if you're here in person, we have a gift for you. It's this book here. It's just called The Decision. And there's a card in your seat back right there. And you can just fill out that card. And, and it just says, um, life is complicated. We know a guy. His name is Jesus. Just fill that out. You can take it out to the Welcome Center and just trade this in for this free book. It kind of just walks you through some next steps and, and gives you things you can read. It's an incredible book. I want to encourage you guys to do that um, today. And I'd love to meet you out there as well. 
Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.